Hello everyone, welcome to Thoughts and Tea here on Radio Africa 1804. I am your host, Lori Lee. Um, I hope you've had a chance to catch last week's episode. Uh, I was joined by Rachel Mentor and we both shared our top 10 lists of what to watch right now. And we, we ended up actually going a little bit over our time. I think we had just so much we wanted to share as we talked through why we thought each of these individual pieces, pieces um, were important for our community. And as we talked through our lists, I was kind of reminded of all that is on our plates right now. Um, all the issues and concerns we're thinking about day in and day out. And I thought of the weight, um, the weight that that creates on my shoulders, you know, for me now as I'm 37. And that also got me thinking about what this must all feel like for the younger generation. So today I'm really happy to have two very special guests, um, Sanaya Mathis and Jeremiah Nichols, our college students. And today they're gonna share their perspective with us what it's like to be seeing all that we've be been seeing um, at this time in their lives. And I don't know about what your college experiences must have been like, but college for me was a really special time. You know, it was my first time being somewhat on my own, living on campus. I was trying to figure myself out decide what I wanted to do with my life, where I was going, what I wanted to study, what that would mean for me in my future, um, would I be able to sustain myself, would I be able to do something that was impactful and meaningful, and I was just full of hope at that time. I think most college students are, right? You're going into this, this experience that your entire education has been leading up to especially in high school, everything we're doing for most of us at that point is to get into a good school. That's the goal. And while, it, while I was full of hope, it was also a, a rude awakening for me a little bit. Um, I had lived comfortably in my bubble for so long. And now here I was, you know, at Fordham University, rooming with people who had never really communicated or interacted with black people before. And if they did, it, it obviously wasn't on the level of sharing, you know, a small space with them, a dorm room. So there was a lot that I had to learn, um, a lot I experienced. And of course, you know, on top of all of that, in 2001, my sophomore year, 9-11 happened. Um, I remember being in my room at the time. My roommate had already left because she had early classes and my phone rang and it was her dad um, calling our room to check on her really. Um, and he kind of told me what had happened. I had been sleeping and I turned on the TV to see what was going on, called my parents and um, you know, that day, changed a lot for so many of us um have you know next year it'll be 20 years since that happened um and i for me it has always kind of been in the background of who i am it, it was it was a life-changing experience for me and i was fortunate enough several years later to be a part of the team that was opening the new building and um, and felt really proud of what that meant for New York. So it was very it was a very full circle moment for me. So that's what I think about when I think of my college experience. Um, it changed me. It changed my friends. It, it 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 was like I said. It was just life changing. So I'm really eager to get this conversation going with Sanaya and Jeremiah. So. Welcome both to Thoughts and Tea. Thank you, thank you. Um, I can well, I can speak for the both of us um, when I say that we are very, very excited to also have this conversation with you. 
Um, go ahead, Jeremiah. Oh, yeah, I'm very thankful to be here. And, um, of course, it's my first time meeting you, so I'm going to formally introduce myself. So, greetings. I am Jeremiah Nichols, a second-year African-American Studies scholar from Tampa, and um, and I'm currently at Florida a and Yes, um, and I can do the same because, Lori, you know me, <laughs> but my <laughs> listeners <laughs> don't. Listeners might not. Um, I am Sanaya Mathis, a second-year bio-credential student hailing from West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, and I currently attend Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. Um, and we, Jeremiah and I are very proud to say that is the number one public <laughs> HBCU. That's awesome. Within the nation. So we're very, very happy to be attending. Thank you. Great. So let's actually start there. Um, what I'd love to hear from both of you. What made you choose to go to an HBCU? And was that something that was always part of the plan? Was it really important to you? when you thought and prepared for your college experience? So what made me go to FAM is really my high school experience. So I went to uh, Jesuit High School in Tampa, which is one of the premier um, Catholic all-boys school within the state of Florida. However, it was 95% white. And so being there, uh, I experienced very, very outward racism. And so um, that in turn, inadvertently, I became pro-black. And because of my pro-blackness that I came into, I wanted to experience uh, an environment with other black people. And after I did my research, man, you was the best option, honestly. Okay, so you have that side, and then you have me. I did not want to go to FAM. I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want it at all. Um, and I was fighting my mom. And I was like, Mom, please let me stay. I don't want to go. Mom was like, Naya, get out of my house. So, <laughs> so um, I got into FAM, and I went during the summer. And due to the fact that I went to a high school, of course, that was predominantly white in Wellington, Florida, it was always an issue. I was, I was too black for the white kids, but I was too white for the black kids. So I didn't really know where I was going to fit in. And I would talk to my mom, and I'd be like, Mom, like, Nobody wants me, and it was always an issue. And then I got to FAMU, and I stepped foot on the hill, and quite honestly, best decision I've ever made. Um, I love it. I love being around people who look like me, who have dreams, and these are things that social media and other things weren't really showing me. Like, I didn't get to see a lot of the black people in college and for all the advertisements, they have their one black golden child, and then they have six white people, you know? Yeah. So being at FAMU, um, it's such an amazing experience. And then meeting everybody and them having the same goals and same dreams and also similar backgrounds. I couldn't talk to my white friends about certain things and I got to fam, and then I cut all my hair off. And I was like, I'm going natural. I'm doing everything. My mom was like, Naya, slow down. And I was like, I want everything. I want to I feel everything in full effect. And I love it. I love being at an HBCU. Yes, I really love that because I think back to my high school experience, and it was similar to kind of what you both described, right? Like there, was a, there weren't that many black people um, at my high school, or at least, <laughs> in comparison to the number of white people in the grade, it was, you know, we, we were the minority for sure. But I think I, I don't know why it just never occurred to me to pursue this like all black experience. And it's something I, you know, if I could go back and change, I would change. Cause I think I, that's something I definitely missed out on. Um, going to Fordham was kind of like a continuation of the same, um, but a little bit worse because at least, in my high school, we were all from New York, and New York is pretty diverse. Um, but when you get to college and people are coming from all over, and they're coming from areas where, you know, they there really were no black people. So it was kind of like taking that maybe hidden or underlying racism, you know, weird jokes here and there throughout high school, and then multiplying it by 10, you know, when I got to, when I got to college. So now that you guys are here and you're experiencing FAMU, what would you say are the biggest differences between your college experience and your high school experience? 
The biggest difference is the amount of love and appreciation I get for being in this space. Agreed. I I completely agree. Um, for I'm also learning. I'm I'm learning a lot due to the fact that I went and um, to a predominantly white school and I was surrounded by so many of them. I didn't know a lot about my culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a black archives to where we can see like, oh, a black woman was the first to, and this happened, and I'm learning so much that they didn't teach me. Um, it wasn't in our curriculum to learn. And as well as the fact that I'm getting so much love all around. Of course, you still have the some people who are like, ah, get away from me. <laughs> but, you know, there's so much love and just happiness and sunshine when you step on that campus. And it's like, Hey, black girl, how are you today? You doing all right? I love your I love your natural curls. I love it. Where it's like, I'll post a picture, and some of my friends from high school are like, Naya, what'd you do to your hair? And I'm here, and everyone's like, I love your curls. It's beautiful. I love it. And I just feel like going to an HBCU and being at FAMU, the biggest difference would be the open arms. Mm-hmm. I'm greeted with open arms. I'm not greeted with the... You know, like, hey, what's up? How are you? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not awkward right. anymore. I can be who I am. Like, I don't have to suppress who I am and what I like anymore because there's so many people who look like me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hey, we have the same. Literally, I didn't know that there were different curl textures. <laughs> she was like, girl, you got 4B. I was like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so I love I love that, the welcoming arms and the love from fam. It feels good not to be a token. Yes. Yeah. There, that was it. It feels good not to be a token. Yeah, I, that I really, really understand. So, okay, so we're. I want to talk a little bit about your hair, Naya. So, and not, not your hair specifically, but just how as women, as black women, we see ourselves, right? So you were in high school and you know mostly white kids in your class and how did that impact you and how you felt about yourself like when your version of beauty compared to getting to school and like you said like cutting all your hair off and embracing your natural curls and um you know what did that feel like um being in high school you can ask my mom every morning i'd be like mom make your bones straight I don't want any bins. She's like, let me bump the... Nope, don't bump anything. I want it bone straight. (laughs) My mom would be like, Naya. I'm like, no, I don't want it. So, you know, I do my middle part and I keep it straight down. Um, I wouldn't do anything outside of the lines. Even the things that I would wear. Um, I remember my Titi, mom's sister, um, bought my mom a shirt and it had a black woman on it with an afro. And my mom was like, Nah, you can fit this. Do you want to wear this? It's neon day. And I was like, no, that's too much. Hmm. And thinking about it now, that's not too much. That's not enough. Yeah. I'm going to be me completely, 100%. So now it's like, I don't hesitate to wear the careless black girl or the I love my curls, the thick thighs, thin patience, <laughs> like all of those t-shirts that TT now buys me and my mom uh, purchases for me. I don't mind wearing those anymore but before it was kind of like okay well i need my hair to be going straight i need to look like them i'm already brown you know i can't have anything else that's not you know that doesn't fit the picture that's the only like i just wanted to fit in Mm -hmm. so when i got to campus i was like everyone here is natural i want to try it i want to i want to see what it's like if not i could always go back to getting a relaxer right and cut all my hair off my mom was mad within the first week, but then we came to you, and you were like, Christine? <laughs> so I'm like, let her live. Like, exactly. So I love it. I love it now. And so does my mom and everybody else who matters in my life. And it's definitely, it's definitely liberating. It's a lot more work. <laughs> it's a lot more work, but it's a lot more liberating. I feel like all I ever wanted in high school was to fit in. That's yeah. all I ever wanted. So to get to somewhere, it's like you you fit here. Yeah. You fit here, and you matter just as much as the rest of us. And it's almost like fitting fitting in or feeling like, you know, like 
I'm comfortable here allows you to be more of yourself, like more, right? Exactly. Yes. And then Jeremiah can also speak on the hair journey as well. (laughs) Yes. Let me tell us, Jeremiah. Okay. So like I said previously before, my school was very outward and racism and specifically with hair. Uh, there was no dress. Your afro had to be over like it can't be over three inches. Um, no high tops. No no face. It was none of that. <laughs> and so for me, it's like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't express myself and my culture in any way or shape or form, including my hair. And when I got to fam, I, I did the same thing as Naya. I started to explore. <laughs> 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 I was like, how, how, how's afro gonna look? How's high tops gonna look? How's braid? I couldn't even I couldn't even braid my hair in high school. But now I have locks, right? And because of that, because of me allowing to grow my hair, is it's been a spiritual growth for me, and has helped me tremendously. Um, it helped me like to love myself, right? To love all your curls, all of your locks, and just like allows me to be African, you know. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that that um, why high schools or your white people don't understand, right? Is being African and loving your culture in every way, shape, or form, and doing it in its entirety. Yeah, exactly. That's the biggest thing: doing it in its entirety and being okay with you being okay with the fact that um, I might not like this hairstyle, <laughs> but I'm gonna try it anyway. <laughs> I might not like this, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Um, I remember when I wanted braids. And everybody, TC had had them, you had had them, and I was like, I don't know. And I had first gotten braids, and I got so much heat for it at school. And now it's like, oh, girl, you got some plaques. You want, you want to do your hair? $50, I got you. So it's like, so now it's like, I, I do them, I probably, I do them way too often. But I'm like, mommy, I need you to send me $50. I want to get my hair done. So I just feel like, we're exploring and we're finding out who, like you said, Lori, like finding out who we are yeah. and answering some of life's toughest questions right now. <laughs> no, it's really true. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I am curious to know how each of you felt the first time you watched um, the video of George Floyd's murder. Oh. Um, the first, I couldn't see it through the first time. Yeah, neither could I. It was after, because we have to think about it. So there's been many murders before George Floyd, mm-hmm. right? And I seen all of them. And when it came to George Floyd, I just, I don't know, something in me just couldn't watch it. Just to see life being taken away for, from a person that looks like me, mm-hmm. it was just, it literally sent me to therapy. Right, and and I don't know if I can watch it at this moment, even like months later, because that's just something a person shouldn't see, and the fact that we see so much of it is a problem in itself. Agreed. Um, I have not seen the whole video. I refuse to watch the whole video, and I feel like because so like so much is happening right now. Um. It's hard. It's very, very hard. So when I when I I heard about it first, and then the video was popping up all over my feed. You know, the shade room, baller, all of that. And I literally I couldn't watch it. I heard the beginning, and I was like, I can't. It's more of the fact that I'm tired. Yeah. I'm very, very, very tired of seeing this and hearing this. It hurts. It's gotten to the point where it hurts and. And my mom walked into my room, and after she had watched it, she was bawling. She was like, Naya, there was something different about this one. Yeah. And she was crying so hard. And I started crying looking at her, looking at this black mother, and thinking about all of the black moms out there who have sons and daughters and husbands and uncles and, you know, like us. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't imagine if that was... One of my cousins, my friends, one of my uncles, it it it's gotten to the point where now it hits different. And before I was sad, but now I'm angry. Yeah, it's it's really hard because I think about, um, especially when I think of your generation, right? Like 
the level of access we have to all of these things because of social media. So it's not to say that these murders weren't happening before, but I think they were happening kind of in secret, right? Like it was a lot easier to hide them. But now with cell phones and everybody's got a video you know, camera on their phone and then you can post it really quick, within minutes, the whole country can be seeing and feeling something like that video. And I, I just wonder like what that, like, you know, Jeremiah, you just said like it sent you to therapy. I just, I can't imagine what it must be like to be seeing all of that that early in life. Like it's just so heavy. Even for me, I'm like you, Naya, I, I don't think I have watched the entire video in one sitting. I think I had to break it up in pieces um, mm -hmm. because of just how it affects me. And it's not the first one, it's not the last one. And you don't ever wanna get to the point where you're unaffected by these videos because you see them so much. So you, you, know, you watch them intently and you empathize and you put yourself, like you said, in black mother's shoes, black father's shoes, and you imagine it happening to your family, your friends, your, your classmates, your colleagues. And it's just really heavy. It's it's very very heavy. And, and we Jeremiah and I recently, so we all had taken a trip, um, and we were walking, and um, a white family. There was a whole bunch of like Confederate flags and Trump signs, and a white family was literally like, "It's okay, you could come over here. Like it's okay, you're safe right here." And Jeremiah and I looked at each other like what just happened like was he was he serious was that a joke hmm. or so now it's like i'm before i wasn't but now i'm scared yeah i wasn't scared before but now i'm scared um not just for me but all of my loved ones and i remember you saying in one of your podcasts money yeah like Money is tall and intimidating. Like so, when you think about when you think about the people in your family, it's like I have so many wonderful black men, right? And to have like law enforcement come and take one of them away from me and not know who they were, what they liked to do, what made them laugh, what made them happy, what made them sad, what touched them the most. It hurts. Yeah, it's really tough. Like I think about the the video um, that surfaced last week of the lift passenger. I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, who, you know, the police stopped the lift driver for um, for tail light, I believe, and ended up asking the passengers for IDs, which. From what I understand, they're not allowed to do. Like if you know, if you're in a taxi and the taxi driver gets pulled over, you're that, that's not, it's not about you. You know, you can just get out of the car. So um, this person didn't want to show his ID for whatever reason, and you know, all this stuff ensued. And two minutes later, you end up seeing him on the floor with two police officers on his back, um, and he was a, to, at least from the perspective of, of the angle that the video was, he was a little guy. So when I think about my brother who is 6'2", 6'3", and just like a big guy, and if they were so afraid of this smaller guy who did not even have a weapon, who was already on the floor, and they were attacking him the way they were, what would they do to my brother? Yeah. And it's like, that's our reality. Those are, those are the things we actually have to think about. Jeremiah, how does that affect you, you know, being a young black man? Um, it definitely affects the way I look at the world and how I think the world should be. Um, and it has caused me to dedicate my life to activism and revolutionary change within the community. He completely changed his major. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so for those who don't know, so in my in my first uh, two semesters of college, I was a business administration student. But after um, experiencing everything uh, the last couple of years, I changed my major to African-American studies and dedicated my life to activism within the black community. And a part of that is addressing this police violence, right? And so let me give you an example from Tampa. 
Um, you, you, could look, you could look it up at Tampa Bay Truths. 17% of Tampa police officers live in Tampa. Mm-hmm. Only 17%, right? So that means we have white people from not from our community policing our community, and that makes no sense. And that leads to injustice, right? And it leads to the um, racial prejudice um, enacting our community. And so when we look at racial injustice as far as like um, police violence, we need self we need self uh, policing. We need police yeah. our own communities. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean like give your neighbor a gun. That means recruit from those from, uh, from that neighborhood, right? And give those kids the opportunity to help their community. I think that makes so much sense. It's like if the if the officers are invested in the community, there's a much greater chance that they will be more supportive, right? They will be more supportive. They will approach these scenarios differently. Um, we had this this situation in, in New York a few months back, but the video just surfaced of um, a guy who was visiting, not from New York, visiting his brother and had some kind of breakdown. And his brother called 911 because that's the number we call when something like this happens, right? Like, there's a problem, my brother needs help, I don't know what's going on with him. And instead of having um, people who are really trained in mental health or, in, you know, trained and prepared for this kind of, of issue, the police were dispatched and they're not equipped to handle that. And, you know, this young not man ended up being killed. And so it's like if if we could just get the system to be built for actually protecting communities and supporting communities as opposed to what it was initially created for, we might see a difference. How, what do you guys think about that? Yeah. I think it would make a huge difference. So why, why do you think um, why do you think the world responded the way it did after George Floyd? Like obviously, like we've all said, this has happened several times before, um, but it seemed different this time. Like with the number of people taking to the streets and protesting, and it wasn't just here in the U.S. It was around the world. Why? Why do you think that is? So, personally. Right. I just feel like um, I cannot say like we can't say how white people feel. Yeah. Um, But I can conclude what they may think and what they might feel based off of the state of their institutions. Right. So now you have this black man uh, who is fighting for his life yet again, who turned into another hashtag, right? Um, and it's gotten to the point where I feel like it wasn't just, it wasn't just us. We, as in, like, Black people as a collective weren't the only ones that were tired. It was kind of like, wow, I don't know if it was a wake-up call for some, or if it was like, this, this Black man really did nothing. He did absolutely nothing he was really begging just to breathe yeah that's all he wanted he wanted to breathe and of course there's so many more videos like this and everything because like you said this is not the first and if well, not, unfortunately it won't be the last um but there are so many other videos like this but i guess this one hit different for a lot of people um just simply based off the fact that when they heard it all he wanted to do was breathe. That is it. That is all he was asking for. Take me in if you have to take me in, but let me breathe. Yeah. And he wasn't getting that. And I feel like that is why everyone was like, what What just happened? I feel like that was the reaction um, for a lot of people. What just happened? Why? Right. And let's not forget what happened before uh, George Floyd. Like Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor, yeah, you know what I'm saying. And so now it was literally three lynchings within a couple months. In addition, uh, due to COVID, the world was put on pause. 
And we and because the world was put on pause, we was able to really look and reflect on the situation. And we had no choice. No choice. To, we had no choice but to do that. Because the only thing that we could do was be on our phones. Yeah. So I, now we are forced we are forced to look at this. Because basically the Negro in America is the American story. So we have no choice but to look at the ugly truths. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, COVID definitely played a huge part in that. It's almost as if we had a captive audience, right? Like before COVID and everybody's like living their lives, doing whatever they're doing, there it was easier for them to ignore it or, you know, not pay attention to it, pretend like they didn't see it. But here, it was like, you don't have anything else going on. We're all just sitting here, and people couldn't just turn, you know, couldn't look the other way. So, Agreed. Agreed. So we, we, you know, mentioning COVID now, I think I've even seen a difference in how COVID-19 has impacted our communities compared to others, right? So it's another kind of... Um, just example of how the racism is really, really built in. And when things happen like a pandemic and layer on top of it, you really get to see how it all plays out. So when you guys think about um, systemic racism and based on everything you're seeing and feeling, not just this year, but, but your whole lives, do you see a chance for an end to it in your lifetime or at least a massive improvement, and and if so, what? How do you think we get there? Yes, yes. I see. I see. I, see, I don't see racism ending, but I do see liberation for Black people. Mm -hmm. And and, <laughs> and I say yes because I do see an educational reform happening, and I don't see it in, in institutions. But I see day to day within people just talking to each other at the barber shops. Uh, you know, saying daily conversations with your family, and we can't have the mindset that it's not going to end. Cause we have that mindset, then that we're going to reinforce that attitude. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I believe the the blueprint for liberation has been laid out. All we have to do is read it and follow it, right? The first step liberation is educational reform, right? As far as like teach African history. Teach, if you real teach, African real history. Af if you teach people, see the problem is we only learn that we're that we're that uh, we're, we're descended from slaves, and so because of that, everything looked like a victory. But if you teach a person, he comes from kings and queens. If you teach a person his real history, right? He's going to live up to that, and that's going to transform and go into economics. And because and now you got economics, then it goes into politics, and it's going to have a trickle down effect. You know. And so the process for liberation is laid out. All we have to do is follow it, go step by step. And I feel like our generation is doing that. The only thing we can't do like the past generations is lose hope and lose focus. And we need to stop being performative as well. That's another thing, but I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do believe uh, we're a generation of revolutionaries. We're a generation of activists. And liberation for black people would happen as long as we believe it. As I agree with Jeremiah. Um, I agree with Jeremiah. I can say that the coronavirus um, putting the world on pause has caused a lot of people to do certain things. So, like you and your podcast, right? Now people have the time to be doing what they've, what they've always wanted to do or new ideas, and we are finding new ways to communicate with each other. This is the most I've ever been on social media in my entire life. Mm -hmm. um, so now that we have these things and we're utilizing them, some of, them, some of us are utilizing them the way they're supposed to be utilized. I do feel like there's a chance for us. But like he said, I'm going to need us to stay organized. I'm going to need us to stick together and I'm going to need us to stay positive because if we don't and we lose hope, then it's it because we are all we have. There is nothing else. There is nobody else. This is it. Yeah. We are the yeah. only ones. So I do completely agree um, with the first step being education and 
you know, everybody should go to HBCU, but we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day. One day, Baby we're not steps. there yet. <laughs> but um, because, like, for us, African-American history is required. Mandatory. It's a required course that you have to take, and they teach us real African history. Like, we come from kings. I'm, I am fortunate enough to have a family that knows everything about their history. So learning you you even has been like Naya you come from you know um just the lineage that's very very important to our family Mm -hmm. being guided by our ancestors and you know just you come from kings and queens you are royalty a lot of us are not taught that a lot of us are not taught that and with me and being from Haitian descent I'm like, you better watch who you talk to. Like, you, don't, <laughs> you don't know me. You don't know who my people are. You better watch yourself. So I feel like if we all just keep in mind that we still have our crown on. Like, don't look down. You're going to drop your crown. Like, that's the biggest thing for us. Like, fix your crown and keep going. Yeah, I think that's as really as important. As long as know where we come from. Yeah. Knowing, knowing your history is really important like to be able to have that pride in who you are because like you said and I think that was such a great point Jeremiah when you just tell people that they're descendants of slaves everything is a win right like I, I've got I'm, I'm in college that's a win you know so and it, it doesn't push you to strive for more but if you understand all the greatness that that you had before before slavery occurred it gives you something to push for, something to aspire to, which I think makes such a huge difference. And another thing I would love to get you guys' opinion on, I think, um, you know, during these last couple of months, we've seen some black celebrities really step up and, and be, you know, make powerful statements and um, really try to use their platforms to make a difference. And a few weeks back, in you know during the NBA playoffs, we saw um, the Milwaukee Bucks decide you know not to play just maybe an, a half hour or an hour before their game was set to start, and that created kind of a trickle with a lot of um, a lot of athletes you know pulling back from whatever um, sports and, and games and matches that they had for like that two or three day span, and. I remember being proud as that happened like you know because you almost feel like well why, why do I why do we need to entertain you right now you're killing mm-hmm. us you're killing people who look like us every day but yet we need to get up here and entertain you right to get your mind of your mind off of all of your stresses and all of your worries while you're killing us and so I felt like it was such a, a such such a powerful statement um, but then I was a little slightly disappointed with just the follow through, right? Because then, you know, you make that statement and then two or three days later, everybody's back to playing all their games, right? And, and not much was said and, and done. So, you know, and then you fast forward to last week or just a few days ago, I think, with um, the NFL season starting and to see the fans in, I believe, Kansas City boo the players as they just stood together like arms locked with some Black Lives Matter messages popping up on the screen and they booed them so it's just you know for me it's like I'm thinking about it and yes not having those games or pulling out of those games was a statement but what did it actually do because now we're back to performing and these people are actually booing you when you're just stating that Black Lives Matter. Right. And that's what I kind of hinted at before as far as performative activism. Mm-hmm. And it's the same It's the same thing with the celebrities. It's the same thing as far as like when people go to marches and they go to march and then they're done. Right. And like, oh, I did my part. Cool, cool. I protested, I protested for a day. All right. Let's go get some Chipotle. You that, know? Yeah. Like that was that was enough for me. Or, um, you know, like, let me let me go to this protest real quick. You take a few pictures, you post it, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Or you have the people who are losing their lives at the hands of another crooked cop and transitioning into a hashtag, and then you post it, and then that's it. 
right? You're just posting on social media and that's all you're doing. I feel like one thing with this culture is that they're cool with playing hot potato, right? Mm -hmm. But when it starts to get uncomfortable and the stuff needs to sit for too long, they pass it. I don't want this anymore. Or it's gotten to be too much. I need us to stop playing hot potato and stop passing this ball around where it's like, all right, cool. Like, you know, next subject. Did you see that this happened? Or did you see that Nicki Minaj was pregnant? Did you see that? <laughs> like, we have, we have so much more important things to be focused on right now. And we are trying to change as a nation, right? And we're sitting here and we're focusing on the wrong things or we'll, we'll pick something up and we'll push it and I'll, I'll give us a good 14 days, 14, 15 days, and then we drop it. Yeah. Like, okay, like on to the next thing. This is guy and boring. Or it's, it's a little uncomfortable now. I'm making people uncomfortable. No, you need to sit with this. Mm-hmm. And then another thing is um, when the NBA, when they did their boycott, the biggest thing was like, what's next, yeah. right? They didn't know what to do. And like I said earlier, the answer is already written out for us. It's in, it's in these is in these books. Um, right before this podcast, I was reading the Blueprint uh, Black Power by Amos uh, by Amos Wilson. Mm-hmm. And before that, I was reading uh, Stolen Legacy by George by George G. M. James. Like the answers are within the book. And I'll, if we read chapter two, <laughs> if we get to chapter two, we would know what to do, right? And so, and so, what what black athletes have to do, black athletes, black celebrities, what we have to do is combine our power, our money, right, and use it for the good of our community. And if that requires us to break from the chains of the NBA or the NFL, then so be it, right? I'd rather be free and with my own people and then than, than not helping at all. Exactly. Yeah, I think when, when Tanaya, you were talking about, like, this hot potato idea, I think a big piece of why they tend to pass the ball is because it starts to affect their pockets, right? Everybody's protecting their pockets and not seeing the long game. Yes. That's what it's going They aren't. And I was, um, so I was reading James Baldwin's unfinished book, um, and he was basically saying that America, right, is not home of the free but the brave. And he was also stating that history is not our past. It's our present because we carry it with us, right? So what do we look like, you know, trying to push something and and, and trying to get people to understand that we're not even being consistent with it? Yeah. Yeah. So if we're not going to be consistent and we're – that's like you doing a sales pitch and you doing an elevator pitch and then halfway through you're like, ah, you know, I don't even care anymore. I'm on the third floor. No. You gotta finish, finish, yeah. follow through. Because if you if you're trying to convince somebody and you stop, it's kind of like okay, if you're not gonna do it, then what makes you think I'm gonna do it? Exactly. Why does it matter? Exactly. Why does it matter? And I'm trying to sit, and I shouldn't have to sit here and fight to tell you and to show you that my life matters just as much as yours. But as of right now, that's the task at hand. And if we pick that up and we drop that, what we're what have we been doing? Everything that we have been fighting for, everything, is now what? Yeah, absolutely. Follow through is extremely important and just not losing focus. I think for whatever reason, um, we can be so easily distracted. Or like, you know, okay, you're fighting for this. I'm going to give you these little crumbs and then everybody accepts it. And then we wait for something else bad to happen and we get mad again, right? Instead of just staying the course. Exactly. And people don't, people don't know what the real goal is. So I'm going to state it myself, right? <laughs> tell so, me. Tell me. <laughs> so um, the goal is freedom, Right. And let, let's think about that real quick. What is freedom? Freedom is having the power to control your own destiny, whether it's politically, economically, or socially, right? And because we don't have that, what's opposite of freedom is enslavement, right? And so once you understand that, right, we must do everything in our power to chase freedom. Let's say if you're a business student, right, 
then your goal should be trying to gain um, generational wealth for your family and for your people and for the people in your community, right? If you're African-American studies student, then your goal should be to educate the next generation and so they can know who they are as a people. So everybody must play their part and so we can all achieve freedom as a community. But when you don't do that, then that's where everything happens. When you, when you think about yourself, we think about the individual. The individual does not matter. It's for liberation and the freedom of all of our people, not only within America, but worldwide. I am because we are. Exactly. Yeah. Ubuntu. <laughs> Ubuntu is a West African concept that means I am because we are. And you look at it. You look at um, ancient um, African languages. There's no word for individuality. Not one. Because that's a that is really it's not a, a, it's not a concept. It's, it's it's a foreign concept. Yeah. Individuality is a foreign concept. And once we think for the greater good of the community, for the freedom of the community, then everything will take care of itself. Right. And that should be our goal. Absolutely. So let me ask you guys this. So with the election coming up, I'm assuming this will be the first time you're both participating in a presidential election. Yes, ma'am. So how um how important do you think your vote is? It's important. It's important. However, the most important vote happens in your local elections. Right. I was just about to say that. Um, and that's something that I didn't know until I got to college. Um, I didn't know how important it was to know who your representatives were. You know, and who's going to represent you. Exactly. Because locally, that's, that's where your say comes in the most. It really does. Who who's your sheriff? Who's your mayor? Who's on your city council? Who's on your citizens review board? Who's on who's on your school board? Right in Tampa, I went I went back to Tampa not too long ago, and um, my cousin, she was learning about the Greeks, and they didn't tell her that the Africans taught the Greeks everything they know, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. That's a problem for the school board. That's a problem for the superintendent. And so, what we're gonna do next election? We're gonna vote them out. <laughs> we're gonna vote them out. And so, and so my little cousin can learn the correct information and so she could grow up as an intelligent African person. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Obviously, you know, we, we wish we could have somebody leading the country that cared about all of its people, um, that was intelligent, right? That wasn't lying <laughs> the way the current president does. Um, but a lot of what he does is so far removed from us, right? Like like you said, it's it's all of all of our local officials that are really affecting our day to day. Exactly. And especially in our family, it's like, you better vote. Once you hit 18, <laughs> you better register. That's something you can pre-register. But once you hit 18, that better be the first time that you vote. And that is huge for my grandfather. That is huge for my mom. And that is huge for TT. And even with her and being vocal, um, and learning about local representatives and everything like that, she was even going to run. She was like, I think I want to, and literally, and that's why I got into it. Like, okay, she wants to run for something. I don't even, I don't know who my mayor is. Let me look into this. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be a good idea. So when I go vote, eventually I'm not just checking a name because it looks familiar. Mm-hmm. I know their reform. I know what they want to do. But how could they better me as a college student? Absolutely. So, okay, let me ask you this. What do you say to people who don't think their vote matters? Like people who've already decided they have no intention of, of going out to vote when November comes around. I understand, but I respectfully disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I understand because you know, of, of history, right? It seems like your vote doesn't matter. It seems like politics is not a means of liberation, but it is. But we have to get out of the thought is the only means of liberation, right? And when you think that way, of course, politics is not going to work. Politics is just an avenue that we must use, right? Your vote does matter. You just have to use it strategically. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's nothing that we don't know how to do. We don't know how to organize and mobilize around politics. And once we effectively do that, that's when we'll see real change. I, I can agree with him. But um, at the same time, of course, your vote does matter, yes. But I can completely understand why they feel that way. Um, based on, what, over 50 years ago, dealing with gerrymandering and everything that would happen to us. 
exactly um not you said that but gerrymandering and how they would make sure that we had to travel the furthest to vote if we could even vote Mm -hmm. so now it's like okay now we have to completely get you out of that frame of mind and sit here and tell you your vote matters you matter as a person and we need you to get out here and do what you need to do your civil duty you know get out and vote do your research and that's the biggest thing as a college student right now being um jeremiah being second years that's that's been something that's been instilled me for a very long time but now it's like do your research look it up don't be a democrat because your parents are democrat don't be republican because your parents are republican do your research figure out what you want figure out what's going to help you your business invest in yourself and figure it out and it doesn't take long. It takes literally like an hour or two. And it does not take long at all to figure out, okay, I don't like that. I don't like her police reform. I don't like... So certain things like that, it takes 30 minutes. No, really. It takes 30 minutes to figure it out <laughs> and look it up. Yeah, it's true. I agree with both of you. I think I I understand the frustration um, when people say that, when they say that they feel like their vote doesn't matter. Um especially because we've got this completely antiquated system with the electoral college. So yeah, sometimes like, you know, somebody can win the popular vote and still not win. And so that does kind of make you feel like your, your vote doesn't matter. Um, but I think what you both said is right, right? Like it's our civic duty. It's not the only way to make change, but it's one of the ways. And we can't, you know, complain and be frustrated on one side and then not do our duty and show up and vote on the other side. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we're getting ready to wrap up. This hour went by so fast, but I wanted to ask you guys just to close. Um, Obviously, 2020 so far has been pretty dark, right? So um, from the pandemic to all of the racial injustice, the police brutality, Um, Even the environment, right? Like these fires on the West Coast, like things like this happen because we are not taking care of our planet. Um, So all of that, I think it can it can make make us feel a little hopeless. So I wanted to ask you how this year has impacted you and how you see your future. Um, You can go first, Jeremiah. (laughs) (laughs) So. This year um, really caused me to um, sit back and reflect on myself and who I really am and who I want to be in the future, right? And because of quarantine, I was in quarantine for a long time. Because <laughs> <laughs> when we went on spring break, we never came back. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> uh, because of that, I was like, I need to dedicate my life to the freedom of my people, right? And that led me to reading, I think I read four books this summer. Uh, I led seven protests. Um, I started my own organization dedicated to the liberation of black people. And that's what I'm going to keep doing for the rest of my life. And that's because I was able to sit down, reflect, and look at what's going on in the world. And so even though corona um, has has killed lots of people, um, that's been the, the, the silver lining of, of this pandemic. For me, at least. Uh, my silver lining, quite honestly, um, I'm blessed to say that the six months that I had off of school, due to the fact that we really did leave for spring break and, and not come back, back. <laughs> <laughs> um, were amazing. Um, you know, going to therapy and finding out who I am, what I enjoy doing, what I don't like, you know, those, I can honestly say that I found out who I am. And that was huge for me because for so long I was looking for validation and my identity in others. Mm-hmm. And that is not where you find that. Absolutely. So with the virus and everything, it forced me to sit down by myself. Because my mom was tired of me because she was working from home. So mom was like, I'll be in my room if you need me. So I was literally in my room like, okay, like Naya, it's me and you. 
and I found out things that I like and things that I didn't like and I picked up painting and poetry and reading and created the clothing line and the proceeds going to Breonna Taylor's family I feel like now I'm getting into my purpose and that was everything for me getting into my purpose finding out the things that um you know finding out what is for me that was the biggest thing finding out what's for me and finding out how i help others exactly god i learned that god dwells within you and you are your ancestors greatest gift your ancestors greatest gift and that's who's guiding you okay i love that well thank you so much for joining thoughts and tea today both of you um, I can thank tell you for you, having her. Yeah, it was great to have you, and I'm just really proud. I'm proud. I think you're both so smart, so well spoken, so aware, really self aware, and um, connected, right? Connected to your history, connected to your communities, and that gives me a lot of hope. And I think it gave our listeners a lot of hope as well. So thank you so much for for sharing today. Thank you. The pleasure is all ours. Awesome. Well, as always, if you have a friend or colleague that you think would have enjoyed today's topic, please let them know that the show will replay. I will probably replay it next Wednesday. Um, and remember, of course, you can always catch up on past episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Um, if you enjoyed this Thoughts and Tea Hour, please share the links on your social media. And I will, I would really love, I'll connect with you guys afterwards. I'd love to share, um, Jeremiah, the organization that you started and Sanaya, maybe a link to, um, the items available in your clothing line, just to show people what you're doing. So I'll be sure to post that, um, after today's show. And of course, please be sure to check out some of the other great shows in our Radio Africa 1804 lineup. Um, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. we have Tonde, which is hosted by Florence Camo. Monday through Friday from 10 to 12 we have The Daily Fuel, which is hosted by Ralph Deli. Monday through Saturday from 1 to 2 we have Midi Connaissance, which is hosted by Florence Camo. Mondays and Tuesdays at 2 we have Yonti Cosé, which is hosted by Fred Stanfield. Mondays and Wednesdays at 6, of course, we have Thoughts and Tea, which is hosted by me. Thursdays from 4 to 6, we have Jeudi Détente, which is hosted by Pachuco. Friday from 8 to 9, we have Monsikaba, which is hosted by Alouk Saint-Cyr. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., we have Food d'État, which is hosted by Diana Nicholas, the Burger Diva. Saturdays at 10 a.m., we have Cosy Holistique, which is hosted by Dr. Enol Millie, and it's replayed on Sundays at 8 p.m. And then Saturdays at 11, we have the Yolan Smith Show, which is hosted by Yolan Smith. In the meantime, if you have any thoughts and comments or questions about um, what Sanaya, Jeremiah, and I talked about today, feel free to message me on Facebook at Lori Lee Camo or on Instagram at Lori Lee underscore. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I think, you know, I have a lot of hope and, and if there are lots of other students that are like you, Sanaya and Jeremiah, I think we will see some change soon. So thank you so much, and thank you for thank listening. Thank you.